Just the general tone of this conversation, I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right, Scott, how are you doing today? Good, good. It's good to be back. The listeners don't know, but we took a few weeks off. We got pretty far ahead and we were about pacing ourselves with all the great guests we've had. So this is our first time in a few weeks. It's good to be back and two really great guys joining us to touch on a topic that I've heard a little bit about that people are talking about a little bit, AI, but we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, just glad to be back. It is middle of August, summer's winding down, which as an operations guy is pretty exciting. Um, but love this and love the conversation we're going to have today. Well, what's, what's your like measuring stick, Scott, for things slowing down? For me, there's a Chick-fil-A, North Myrtle Beach. It's the only one in North Myrtle Beach. I take that back. There's two now. But in, in my end of the beach, there's only one there. And if I can actually go there for lunch again, and there's not a line of cars like wrapped go. around the building twice, I'm like, oh, I guess the season's over. What is your local measuring stick? Is there like a highway or a road or a beach or something? Yes. Yeah, so, so for us, it's an event. When you pass okay. the White Marlin Open in Ocean City, you're, it's, it's, it's winded easy. down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it, the other hook is it falls on, it always falls on the first week of preseason football. So, okay. so those two things line up and you can see, you can, now you can see it and now you're just on that countdown to the yeah. end of season and the start of football season. Okay. Yeah. The Patriots lost last night, that preseason game, but there were some fireworks. So it was entertaining, needless to say. Adam, how are you doing? Is yours, I imagine your season is winding down a little bit as well, although maybe the Outer Banks last a touch longer. How's, how are things going? And give us your marker for that as well. How do you know when the Outer Banks season is over? Is there like a store you can go to or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to give a little monologue here as I go through a few different pieces and, and tie some things together. One, I did not watch the Patriots lose last night. It's preseason, Conrad. So we do not need to worry about that. I'm an I was watching. You keep me away, but nice. Yeah, job. I know. But I was watching the Women's World Cup, which has been relatively entertaining. It, unfortunately, the U.S. got bounced. But uh, my measuring stick is the beach that's close to my house. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Outer Banks. I'm going to share my sports update and I'm going to tie it all back and tie these pieces together. Outer Banks beaches are public, right? You can all go to them, but there are only certain places where you can, where there's public parking. Now, you don't have to pay for public parking, but that obviously leads to a lot of people going to the beach. My house is near a beach that doesn't have public parking, so it's not easy to get to. So last night I went out to the beach with my son at about, I don't know, seven or so, and there was zero people on the beach, literally zero people on the beach. And I'm in Kill Devil Hills, which is middle of the Outer Banks. So that's starting to indicate to me that, okay, people have started to slow down. So that's generally my indicator. Now to, to build on that a little bit, I'll touch on a difference. So Kill Devil Hills is where I live. There's another town that is over the bridge called Manio. Now as a side note, Anyone who's watched Mayberry and Andy Griffith, that was modeled after Manio. Andy Griffith actually lived in Manio. He passed away a number of years ago, but he was from Manio. So Mayberry was built off this little town. It's this awesome little town. The first English settlement was there, the Lost Colony. So if you ever seen, heard anything about that, that's there. So this is cool little town, but nobody really knows about it. It's off the, over the bridge and over to the right behind everything. Everyone comes here for the beach. Recently, getting into the sports update, I mentioned last year a number of times that, or at least last season, a number of times that we were having trouble keeping the team together. Good news is the team is going to stay together and we're actually getting much stronger. And the reason is that I went over and I looked at Manio because I also don't get over there. So I went over there for a little tournament the other day, last week, and I realized that, oh my gosh, there's a ton of talent here that I have not taken advantage of. So about half of my team, now this is eighth graders, so it's 2009, 2010, so it's 13, 14 year olds, we pay, play U15. So I picked up basically a new starting half of my team from Manio. Now I mentioned this because the club has been around for, I don't know, 20 years. And we have not gotten 
players from Manio. Maybe back when it started, we did, and we had these really strong teams, but we've gotten away from doing that. And the club has been floundering. We've been having a tough time building out these teams. I now have probably the best team that we ever could have expected because we brought basically an all-star team from the Outer Banks and an all-star team from Manio and put them together. So super excited for the season that's coming up. But I mentioned that for two reasons, and it'll tie us together here. So one... It's something that I had to keep an open mind to that for the last five seasons, I haven't kept an open mind to, but two, it's something that we used to do that we got away from doing. And I think that has a lot to do with what's happening in the industry right now. And a lot to do with, to Scott's point around AI, I think that as an industry, we've got to keep our mind open to the changes that are coming, but we've also got to take a step back and start to think about what did we do that was successful that we got away from doing. And I think these two things are coming together, AI and the one that's in my mind that we got away from is marketing. And we touched on this a lot with Amy Highnote in her episode, but I think because COVID made everything so easy, even the really good experienced marketing teams that have been for a long, around for a long time got away from focusing on marketing. So I think when you bring those two things together and you keep your mind open to the potential of AI and how new it is and what we can do to impact where it's going, and then you also bring in the fact that we've got to double down on marketing, there is huge potential in what we're going to do there. With that said, we're going to talk about AI. We've got Evan and Braden back from Adaptive. They were back, they were with us in April, but super excited for this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. You always do a good job of taking all my random musings and tying them together. Evan, welcome back. We appreciate you hopping on with us again today. How are things going in your neck of the woods? It's good. Good. And that's a great point, Adam, because people think inflation are just for consumer goods and physical products. But Conrad, as I'm sure you've seen, cost per leads, cost per clicks have gone up. In the travel vertical, we see about 25%. So inflation is real digitally also. And that's that's an interesting way to, to look at how do you Take the traffic you do have and convert the existing, in, increase the velocity of conversion rate that you exist that of your existing customers because driving new ones is getting really expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And we're going to dive into it. Braden, how are things going with you as well? Welcome back. Oh, going fantastic. Thrilled to be back. It's nice to see everybody. It's uh, summer winding down here in Aspen. My my signal is that I can actually get a parking spot in town these days, maybe even a dinner reservation. So yeah. Kids are heading back to school, starting to wind down. Some of my campsites are, my favorite campsites are opening back up. So yeah, it's a a beautiful time of the year. Right on. Good to have you guys here with us today. And I definitely want to dive into the specifics. Maybe Evan, I'll just go back your direction because it's been a few months since we chatted. And I think Scott was joking before we hit record. Nothing's changed. This AI thing moves very slowly. I don't think that's really true. So maybe Evan, you could update us. What's kind of your perspective as just someone who pays attention to both these verticals, right? There's an AI vertical, if you will, and this travel vertical. Since April, here we are in middle-ish of August. What's changed in that time frame from your perspective in the industry or in like the AI development in general? Yeah, absolutely. The way I like to look at it is not like a human brain. I, a lot of the time, just in general, because we're humans, we like to see, we like to relate things to how humans behave. We go to sleep after work, we turn off work, but the reality is AI does not go to sleep. It's always awake, always learning, always improving. So since April, AI hasn't taken a break. So it's seen strides across the board, whether it was the release of ChatGBT 4 I know that they've expanded the abilities on automations beyond just words. Now you can actually help use this ChatGPT with uh, with programming and running tasks. So I think uh, the wave, the buzz of just AI being the coolest thing on the block, the shiniest toy might have faded, but the people who are serious about AI are definitely deeper and leveraging it further for existing operations. And now I think they're definitely reaping rewards that they've had about eight, nine months since their original version of ChatGPT came out. 
they've expanded their network of AI solutions. So uh, across the board, I think AI has expanded. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's one of those things that a lot of people tried and there was, there's been articles written where it's, oh, the traffic to the open AI website or something like that is going down. That doesn't surprise me too much. It's no different than like the thread saga from a month ago. Everybody tries something. And the real question is, does it stick? But I'm with you. I use these tools all the time. I, the chat GPT web interface has earned a pin tab in my browser. There's three things up there. There's email, there's Basecamp, which is like our project management system and there's chat GPT. So I think that proves that like it's useful. Like it, it helps me do a lot of things, but what's your perspective on that it's of things, Brayden, is it that the, it's just a little hump and it's like a camel that's coming right back? Or is there more to it with the development behind the scenes that just regular consumers may not be seeing this technology used every day? I, I think it is a case of some professionalization and some maturation. I think that, you know, for a lot of folks, it was a novelty and it was fun to interact with. And I think there's not a lot of stickiness for that. Um, we're also seeing some company and corporate policies starting to go in place on where and when that can be used. I think that they're are some real concerns with security and federation. You know, if you need to keep your data private, that's something that is not well served by a lot of the available chat tools. And so we're seeing a little bit of a a reaction against that. Um, But to echo what Evan said, when we're talking about the actual, you know, operational uses for these things, the professional uses for them, certainly growing and growing fast. We're seeing increased adoption of AI in tools like professional professional revenue management, especially more in the traditional hospitality space. You know, we're seeing that take off quite a bit, I think. But yeah, a lot of people ran into the actual limitations of of ChatGPT specifically and have learned to have that in a, a more contained role in their day to day. I'm with you, though, Conrad. It's certainly pinned in my browser and I'm making daily use of it. But it's maybe not the panacea that everybody thought it was at the outset. You know, it's, it's got a pretty specific role for me for kind of helping kick off a brainstorm and then helping polish a finished document. But the the hard work in the middle, I think still is is coming from, at least for me, coming out of my brain. So mm-hmm. what's your perspective at? I guess I'm just curious if you're finding use cases for your tools. I think the day-to-day like functional work that you do is a bit different maybe than Braden and myself. So I'm just curious your perspective too. Yeah. Just- unfortunately, it's been on my to-do list for weeks to say, hey, I've got to get into GPT-4. I fall into the camp of someone who started using it and fell off, but I will use it. I will get back into it. In fact, this is one of my catalysts to do this. And we've got another AI discussion that we'll talk about next week as well. So I'm, I'm 100% going to get back into it. I might not fit that normal crowd that tries it, fades away and doesn't get back to it. 100% will get back into there. But I'm curious, based on what they're saying, one, is this gap going to build? And then two, super interesting to hear you mention revenue management. It makes a lot of sense. Is that work in the middle? Is that always going to be human work in the middle? Or are we going to have, or will we get to a place where AI can take some of that middle work? But then to Evan's point, if everybody's falling off and then you've got these larger corporations that are continuing to use it 24-7, learning, 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 are we developing this huge gap between the people who use it and people who don't use it? Oh, I think that's absolutely the case that, you know, certainly the the well-capitalized professional organizations that are deploying AI are going to be gapping those that aren't. And, and there's a big difference there between, you know, us as individuals and and companies. But yeah, absolutely. That's that's continuing to grow and it's it's growing 24/7. And I think that I'm certainly bullish on you know generative AI's capabilities to fill that gap we talked about, and I think it's going to happen relatively fast. You know, we'll see. Is the is the Hollywood writers' strike going to go how many more months and to the point where AI literally can replace that? I don't know. As a film guy, I hope not, but certainly could be the case. So yeah, I mean, this stuff's growing as fast as any technology we've seen in our lifetime. So I think it's 
foolish to doubt it. It's going to continue to develop. And I think the yeah, big difference between what we're doing as individuals and what you know, corporate IT departments and information technology departments are doing. Let me, I want to dive, I want to dig into that one there, Braden, because I, I think this gets really to the crux of part of our discussion and why I wanted to bring you guys back. I mentioned marketing at the beginning of this discussion and back in around 2008, when I was starting, there was a huge marketing opportunity with web, right? It was websites, it was online marketing, it was SEO, it was all these pieces came together really quickly and it leveled the playing field. It gave the ability for smaller budgets, smaller teams, individuals to compete against larger budgets, national brands. We had that ability because we could move quickly, we could learn, we could pivot, and we could make these things happen faster than those larger organizations. Now, part of me thinks that AI is somewhat in that same category, and I'm very curious on, on what you guys think. So the reason I say that, and this gets me into a little bit about the theory that Amy Hynode shared on an episode a couple of weeks ago, but Amy's theory was that as individuals, as individual property management companies, we have the ability right now to go out and start creating content. And AI, the only thing it can do is go out and find the content that is created online, whether that's pictures or text or whatever it is. So if we as marketers go out and create the content that we want AI to find, that should be an opportunity to level the playing field. Now, I think there's a second caveat to this, which I don't know what anyone has the answer to, but I'm very interested in what your perspective is. And Brayden, I think you were the first one that alerted to me to this back in our April discussion, but you mentioned the, the concept of a personal AI. So I think at this point, we've got all of these platforms that are trying to move as fast as they can to build a platform-based AI. Airbnb builds an AI, Booking.com builds an AI, Expedia builds an AI. But that means that they have to get a visitor to go to their platform to use their AI to search their information. Whereas if I look at this from a user perspective, and I'm an iPhone user, so I'll just use iPhone as the example, my dream scenario would be iPhone has the AI, basically Siri, right? That I go and I talk to, it knows me and it gives me what I want. So if that's the case, if personal AI becomes what the user wants, why am I going to go to a platform to use their AI versus mine? And if I use mine, and going back to Amy's theory, and I say, I want to go to the Outer Banks and find a four-bedroom oceanfront with a screened-in porch and a, and a room that is in the back corner for my baby that needs a crib, but I also want to have a hot tub up on a deck, my AI knows me and knows what I'm looking for. Why wouldn't I go to my AI and let that search? Now I'm going to take one step further. If my AI is searching, why would it go to an OTA and not to the property management company that has really deep marketing that we just wrote all of those needs for? How is that going to work? Is it AI, personal AI? Is it platform AI? Is this an opportunity to level the playing field? How do all those pieces come together? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And I think the fair answer is nobody knows, but I've got a couple of theories there. I think, you know, one is, I think the argument for platform AI and specifically platform AI as deployed through national OTAs has a huge advantage. And that is training data on millions and millions of users. Your personal AI understands you. How often you travel and take trips like this that you'd be planning for is going to vary, right? Like some folks might be frequent business travelers. Maybe in a case like that, a personal AI really can understand like, hey, you're a Marriott Rewards member. We know your preferences. We know your business schedule, and that's going to be well-suited. But I do think platform AI has a huge advantage for the casual leisure traveler who's taking one or two trips a year to where you haven't given that system enough data to plan the perfect trip for you. 
And then the other aspect of that is the motivation. You know, what is Apple's motivation to deliver a tool that can do that? Do they have the ability to monetize that? Maybe. How much would you pay for a service that's going to plan a, a trip for you? I don't know. But who is motivated and who has a, a massive incentive to do that are those platforms and are those OTAs. And so I think we're seeing that today where Airbnb, Booking.com, Expedia, all three have publicly stated that they're pivoting roadmaps to invest in AI and specifically in trip planning and guest services. And so I think you're going to see those tools develop faster than a more generalized personal AI. And I think their specificity is going to give them a real advantage in the short to midterm. Longer term, are we all going to have that individual one in our pocket? Maybe, possibly, probably. But I think for the next couple of years, you're going to see those platform AIs dominate. So let me just pause there one quick second because timeline's so hard for us to pin down. And I know I'm not trying to pin you down, Brayden, but do you think is a couple of years, like seriously, that time frame? Because this is moving so fast. Is this just like a two-year period that they've got a head start and then everything catches up? Or do they build such a big head start that we can't catch up? Because this, the way that you describe it almost deters me, not deters me, but it fills me with a little angst to think that they're going to have so much power because they've got so much money and knowledge behind them. Well, I think right now they're talking mainly about investing in, in a lot of those trip planning tools and concierge tools. Uh, there's also a question of how much demand there really is for that. How much do we want to hand over the entire trip planning process to, to an AI? Not sure. But I would say that at the same scale that those tools are advancing and getting better is also the, the same timeline that this stuff is going to continue to be democratized and come down market and be more available. So I'm super encouraged by that. Certainly the capabilities we're seeing within Adaptive and then across like our competitors in e-commerce, it's growing fast. Prices are getting more affordable. I do think that this is a tool similar to the analogy you made to you know the early 2000s in the growth of web. This is a tool that's broadly available to most businesses what we're seeing from the big guys is frankly just a more coherent strategy and, and a way to apply it. So, and that's something we can all borrow from, right? I was going to ask just out of curiosity, Braden or Evan, have you guys seen Rewind, that product? Rewind.ai's product? Yeah. So, so basically I'll put a link in the show notes and I'll put a link in our chat if you guys want to poke around and look at it. It's pretty much exactly what Adam was saying a few minutes ago. It is this personalized platform where literally it's it captures like your screen, like your laptop screen, and then it makes it searchable. So you could be like, what time did I meet with Evan and Braden and Adam on Friday? And it'll have no because it saw your whole screen. So it's like the computer is watching you and then they store it in a way where it's local and doesn't go to their server. So it's very... It's supposed to be very personalized. I did play with it for a little while. I didn't end up sticking with it. Again, like talking about the stickiness of this AI tools was a little bit harder, but I was on this beta. It looks like it's maybe captured a little bit further from where it was. It was, you know, I was having some issues with the actual, like on my machine itself, but I think that's my, probably the direction that we're headed. Adam, to your question from a few minutes ago, like the fact that this might be built in the next version of like your operating system on your computer. And then you could go back and ask it like, oh, what did I do on this day? And it knows because it was watching with your consent the whole day. So that's one way of thinking about it, the personal nature of it. And then like we're talking about here, the platforms, what are they doing to build and make things better there too? Yeah. I, I hadn't considered something because I was all in on the thought where Braden was. And by the way, Braden is the only other guy I've seen drinking out of a mason jar. So shout out to Braden there. It, it's funny because I was, my impression and where I was ready to take Evan the task, right? Because we had some conversation before this and Evan had a good story to tell, but was, right, if I'm using a personal assistant, why would it, why wouldn't it take me direct? Why would it take me to the OTA? Cause it would look and go, if I take you to the OTA, it's going to cost more, but that Braden said something. And again, I, I'm probably the simple thinker of this group for sure. You guys are way bigger thinkers than me on this, but 
if I look at this, what came to mind when you were talking, Braden, is essentially the OTAs are going to be the ones that gain because they're going to do the serve up and we're never going to compete with them on the serve up. But, but really, if we play this and we keep doing our part on the small and mid end, then we should be the first one to be found, right? For someone specifically looking for something, then our gain in this is to be found. Where I think you're saying it's going to be near impossible, and maybe Evan, you can jump in. Where I think you're saying the gap is going to grow is they're always going to beat us on the ability to serve us up and look and say, we know what you're thinking because we have so much learning about your demographic and your area and what you want to do and where you are. So we're going to serve you up and make you think about it. And I think that's yeah. where you guys are saying they're going to beat us. In a way, I'm a bit skeptical because, for example, you started this call, what's changed since April? One of those changes was GA4 officially became the go-to place. You can no longer use GA3. And what that is, is part of the trend in siloing the data further into Google's platform, not allowing middlemen to get in there and leverage Google's data because you're using Google and Google only wants to be directly in front of you. I see a trend where none of these big technology companies are playing nicely with each other and they're not playing nicely with us. And in order for Adam's plan to be effective or like the Uber super app that people were talking about a year ago, they're going to start showing us hotels and things beyond just the car ride. Uh, the only way it works is if you own the entire customer journey and have all of that data. So typically we used to have cookies where we used to see what they're doing across all of the websites, but those days are gone. So going forward, I'm a bit skeptical that anyone besides the OTAs will be able to control the entire customer journey. They actually have years of data of us purchasing. We still log into their platforms every time we use it. They're the only ones that have that leverage. I hope that added some color there, Scott. Yeah, for sure. That's super interesting, Evan. And I know you mentioned that when we talked in April, but I, it hadn't happened yet. And I don't think I really wrapped my head around what you're saying there, but that is very interesting. So to that point, Google's siloing everything into Google. So it's not going to share that information, not only with Airbnb, but it's not going to share it with us. So we don't have the ability until, and again, a, another huge gap in this industry, until we create some sort of loyalty that allows people to log in and create some sort of closed user group that then you can start to collect information again. Well, and that's it. That's really like, for example, Airbnb's true advantage there is the, the tribe that they've built, right? And the user data they have. And so their ability to leverage that historical data is huge. But again, that's a model that the small to mid-sized players can mimic. Everybody who's a property manager who's on software has much more data than they realize and much more actionable data than they realize. But yeah, I, I think to Evan's point, unless we see, you know, maybe commercial models emerge, like you're seeing from outlets like Reddit and Twitter, where they've realized the data itself is the value, not so much the community. You know, is Airbnb gonna license travel data to Google or vice versa? If they do, it's gonna be quite pricey but they may look for additional ways to monetize that data and start selling it. Yeah, because you would imagine if they did that, they would give up market share for that. So it's gotta be super pricey to give up that data. Yeah, exactly. It could be an entity like Google has the ability to sell that data you know, to an individual player. You know, When they've got flight data, when they've got hotel data, rental car data, somebody who does have that sort of spread you could see that being commercialized at some point. So now we're not just going to pay for ads. We're going to be paying for the data to figure out who we want to market to. And it's really because places like, or companies like OpenAI have found a way to monetize content and information that it's literally training data that's worth something specific. 
we we've alluded to it alluded to it a few times already, but we referenced this conversation that we had with Amy. Maybe Adam, if you don't mind, could you like summarize her sort of take? And hopefully we do it justice. And if not, people can go back and listen to the episode. But you could you summarize what she was talking about, where this OTA becomes a little bit less necessary potentially in the future, and then maybe we can have the guys react to it. Yeah, I think that this was super informative for me, at least, because it started to break down some of the pieces where there there could be some challenges to this theory. But the idea was that as a consumer, we would go in and search for that specific travel search that we'd want. And then as a result, AI would then drive us to direct bookings versus OTAs because the direct booking sites would have much more information, right? If we wrote the property descriptions really deep that could answer all the questions and give all the specific information to the different needs, if we had all the pictures. And then in addition to that, you've got search functionality that is just checkboxes today where you're just doing a checkbox for criteria. And then as a result of that, you're getting back this laundry list of things. And this is one of the things that Adaptive does so well as curating and sourcing the properties that you might want. And I'm sure Airbnb will get closer to that. But at the same time, all of these OTAs and really all of the PMS systems have built the searches on these click box criteria, which is not very specific. It gets, it's a very difficult search to find what you want. And this has been the problem in this vacation rental industry since the beginning of the web is it's very difficult to look at all the properties that you want and select the property that fits you. You have to choose your channel and then you have to hope that the channel has the right thing. And I think that's what led away from direct bookings because there was no mass MLS like real estate where you could go and see everything that's for sale. You had to go website to figure out what you wanted and you either pick a brand that you love or you pick a channel that you know that you could find a lot of units. And I think that's a challenge in a search functionality. So going back to Amy's perspective, it was, hey, the search today is terrible. If AI is going to look for the best information to surface the best results for that particular search query or for that user that it's getting to know, then it should go directly to the source with the most information rather than to an OTA that has a clunky search with very limited information because it can't have a lot of data. Now, you guys have broken down some pieces where I can see there's an issue, right? Google siloing information, the Airbnbs and bookings of the world that have all of this history and data, plus all of the money and the time to get this learning, but that still requires someone to go to that website and use it. So if we're just thinking about this from a general search, I go into Google or Bing or wherever, and I just type in the search of what I'm looking for, where do you think AI drives us to at that point? I mean, I think you're almost describing like a, a meta search AI platform where this is not about, you know, it, it's literally crawling the entire the entirety of the travel ecosystem, direct OTAs, what have you. Um, and I think in that case, one, it may not actually direct you anywhere. It's really possible that these things can synthesize the answer. And, and like Google gives those, those one-click responses where it's crawled that data and it gives you the answer and there's no reason to link off. It just tells you the information you want, like OpenAI would. And if you're lucky, you might get some attribution and a link, but maybe not. However, when we're talking about the actual booking, what a smart meta search would do today is that it's crawling for the best price or the best value. And I think that's certainly going to continue to be the case as those platforms evolve, whether that's an AI tool or otherwise. Um, and that, again, is where, in addition to having that the best direct source of local information, it's often going to be the best value. It's going to be the lowest price. And that's something that you know AI is continuing to improve the ability to index the web in general. And so I think that's an upside for having a direct booking website and an ability to do that correctly. 
is that if you know, if your AI knows you're price sensitive and you're not tied to a particular loyalty program or OTA, then yeah, send me to where I'm going to get the best price for my, for my stay. And that's going to be a direct booking website. Yeah, Adam, I guess- if I can just add real fast is that these meta search, we see a few direct booking meta searches in motion that are about to essentially connect the dots between the vacation rental manager and the guest with a middleman platform. But what does that do at the end of that day? We're just going to create a whole new set of monsters, a whole new set of OTAs and beasts that are going to have leverage and they're going to figure out a way to increase fees one way or another. And unfortunately, what Brady and I see is that we're seriously fighting the paradigm shift still. Marketing managers are just content with subpar returns, subpar conversion rates. It's laughable that the average conversion rate of our industry is 0.3%. In e-commerce, if you have a 3 to 4% conversion rate, you're in the middle of the pack. That's 10x where we are today. And so it's just laughable that we're still fighting this paradigm shift that humans can ingest so much more data than computers. It's not the truth. So what you're saying right now is it's a Band-Aid, but in the long run, I think it just creates more beasts. So what is what do you think is the solution? And I know A, adaptive yeah. is part of that solution. Part and as a quick side note, because we talked about this in April, so let me just give a quick update. When we talked in April and we had adaptive on, we were talking about two potential uses that we were building into TAN as well as Casago. And, and one was adaptive. One was this other company called Haptic, which we also did an episode with. Now we've implemented Haptic. We've got a AI chatbot on our website, and we've had it on for probably a month. And it's been significant improvements from a lot of different areas. We're still quantifying what that means, but we've seen online bookings go up. We've seen the number of questions that are being answered go up. We've seen the calls that have to go into the call center for those questions go down. So we are seeing the results that we anticipated. We are in the process, and this leads me to why we've paused Adaptive for now. We are in the process of putting in a new PMS and a new website that goes live on in the beginning, or I guess end of September. And the biggest drag that we have on the chatbot is we can't book direct on the website because we're doing a new PMS and a website. When we get that, it seems like the chatbot is going to be able to walk these guests directly down through the booking and finish that process. Now, once we have the website, we'll then be going into adaptive and implementing you guys. We are still full force into doing that. But that leads me back to your question. How, Evan, to your point, if we, if that meta search engine comes up and now all we've done is build another channel and another monster that we're going to have to battle, rather than that approach, what do you guys see as the best approach forward, given where we are today, given what we're all trying to accomplish of getting direct bookings and getting guests into our houses without having to pay these other fees? What do you think is the recipe for success long-term? And this is completely theoretical. I get it. But how do you put all these pieces together and what's the best plan? It's not theoretical because we do have a case study in e-commerce with Shopify and Amazon. For years, Amazon was dominating 90% of first page search results. They were dominating most, most conversions of product sales. And then Shopify came around, democratized all these technologies for direct-to-consumer websites. And now Amazon is literally shuttering their warehouses uh, because their demand is constrained. So it is possible to swing that pendulum back. But it's impossible to do that with stubborn digital managers who just want to stay in control and not leverage new technology. And I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it out loud because it's true. We spoke to a marketing manager like a month ago who has like 70% occupancy when her market's at 75 plus, And she's like, we're happy. We don't want automation. We don't want this. Come on. What are you doing? You're going to get crushed. There are, there are, just like the OTAs aren't sleeping, other property managers are moving forward with these technologies. They're educating on e-commerce. So the reality is like we're fighting the paradigm shift because there's no e-commerce education. And let me ask you guys, have you seen an uptick in anti-direct booking rhetoric? 
Because I have a lot. I've seen a lot of people ready to throw in the towel. That's interesting. Where do you see that? And what do you mean by anti-direct booking? Like from guests or from managers that don't managers, want to put in the effort? Managers are done. They're like, this is a lost cause. Braden, maybe you have some intel on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, we have certainly encountered a, a few and a few that are not small just saying, you know, we'll pay Airbnbs 5%. Fine. That's that's just easier than battling it out. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a former marketer. That's how I got my start in this industry. And it's like Groundhog Day, watching marketing being treated as a second-class citizen the moment there's any sort of disruption to the space. We saw this early in COVID. Oh my God, travel's never going to happen. We've got to slash costs, turn off all our marketing. Well, coming out, what did we see? The Those who invested in marketing, those who doubled down on branding were successful. And those who didn't left millions of dollars on the table. More recently, there's, you know, whisper inflation hits and there's whispers of recession. Folks batten down the hatches. The first thing to get cut is marketing spend. Well, guess what? I mean, we're, we're still at 2019, 2020 levels of travel that is a highly profitable, high volume market. And those folks who are cutting spend, you know, maybe they're seeing greater margins this year. I think that's even being generous given that marketing has gotten so much more competitive and top lines hurting. And we're seeing those folks who understand the value of brand and the value of market of marketing continue to perform well. And so, you know, I think that as Evan said, this is not theoretical and it's not especially complicated. These are standard, pretty business 101 tactics. If you want to compete against the big guys, know your niche, exploit it, promote it and build your brand around that. And so, yeah, I mean, if if I'm a new property manager and I'm very resource constrained, yeah, use use rely on those OTAs. Great, but at some point, the the dollars and cents just add up that you have to have a substantial direct booking presence, and what you're paying in commissions will easily cover a high performing direct booking website and the associated promotion to drive traffic to it. I, I think part I think there's two things I see there on that on that rhetoric, Evan, to your point, number one, some people who are saying that are newer and they saw two years of great demand. So they saw two years of great demand and went, what's the point of marketing? I don't need it because I fill up on the OTA. So I think that's obviously now changed and that's been changing for several months now, but that's one piece of that puzzle, I would say. The second piece that I would say is that, okay, they feel like they're in a good, they feel like they're in a good position. They feel like they're, they're in the driver's seat and they don't realize that they're actually in the passenger seat. Meaning what's, what I'm always curious about this. I've never pinned someone down on this sufficiently. Maybe I'll figure out an opportunity some way in the future to do this. But the people who believe that, who think, oh, the OTAs will give me what I want. What do they do when things are down, when things aren't performing how they want to? Do they basically, I feel like their only tactic, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like their only tactic is just to cut rates. They could just go onto Airbnb, lower the rates. And hopefully at some point there's some clearing price for the property where someone would take it. But I feel like that's such a powerless thing. Again, they're in their passenger seat, not in the driver's seat. Whereas most clients that we work with, it's okay, we could do an email campaign. We could certainly post this property out on social media. We could reach out to the past guests because we have all their contact information. They're inside of our database on and on. There's 10 different techniques or tactics that we could deploy to try to pick up demand and get things in a better position. And yes, Braden, it's nice when they never cut budget in the first place, but when they do, it's like, how do we react and get them back on the right footing? So I guess I'm curious about that side of it. I know no one here has the answer, but when things are going poorly, do they just basically shrug their shoulders and go, ah, I guess there's not much I can do. And then what does that say to the owner of that property who basically is, if they called the property manager, they might say, oh, sorry, like Airbnb didn't give me enough bookings. Hope you have a great day. Click. I feel like that's such a powerless position, but that's my take on it. I think that they just, well, they're fine being in the passenger seat. And I think Airbnb specifically has kind of engineered their 
program so that it incentivizes dropping prices. That's the tool they give you. If you are not seeing the demand you want, that's that's the lever you have to pull. So yeah, I mean, again, it it is at your peril to be you know, overloaded in any one channel and not, not to pick on Airbnb. I don't think that that's unique with them. So yeah, I, I think if, if you want to have some insurance against disruption, there it is. I mean, that Brian Chesky has publicly said recently, even if, if we're talking about professional managers, that that is not their core product offering either, that they continue to favor the individual operator, the individual homeowner. And so I think if you consider yourself a professional manager, you need to understand what the long-term looks like for you there and where you fit in that ecosystem. And he's so specific about his vision. I don't think this is likely, but he could wake up one day and be like, you know what? No more, no more people over five properties. Like, you know, he could just make that decision or maybe let in a few people and just cut off the rest. I'm sorry, Scott, you were going to say something. No, I was going right where you were going. That, that still leaves and we've, we've coined them the 2019ers. And we know a few that have gone on and done some pretty serious investment and have tens of properties, twenties, thirties. And you look at them and I mean, for us, we look and go, oh man, it may be rough, demand may be down. They could wake up tomorrow and Airbnb had de- made makes a new decision and it changes their, they, what are they going to do? They're just stuck. It's as they go, right? As Airbnb goes, they go. And Conrad, I don't even know that, right, from a professional manager, I don't even know that they're in the passenger seat. I think they're on a, in the trailer getting towed behind them. That's a wicked break point. And, and you know, even... And there's been a lot of conversation and I don't know the truth. I, we don't partner with Airbnb. We don't do business with them on our side, just on, on our model. It doesn't work. But I've read some people saying that Airbnb start is starting to shift back to where they're getting back to their rooms for rent, not necessarily their property. So you even look at that and go, if I'm someone with 10 properties, 20 properties, 30 properties, and they start visibly making that shift. I mean, you got to start to wonder, whoa, what about me? What about the actual full homes over here? It's seemingly small things if you're not connected with them, seemingly very big things when you're- Huge. Scott, you had an excellent point. When we think about big technology, we think about big corporations, and usually that comes with clunkiness, inability to move. But the reality is that these big tech OTAs are versatile. Airbnb wants to add rooms, they snap a finger, now rooms are an option. They have so many levers that they're pulling. And what that's doing is increasing their conversion rate, taking away from direct bookings. So now we're fighting against the OTA's direct bookings. And what do we have? We have PMS systems that are all now promoting their newest and best-in-class distribution systems. So now we got the drug dealers sending us to the drugs at a click of a button. And the drugs are only getting better and better. All the OTAs are improving on a daily basis. So really, everything is just stacked against us, except for those managers that take the learning upon them to just make sure they're doing all the best e-commerce practices. And once they do that, then they can keep leveling up and be in the driver's seat. But Connor, you had a great point. Everyone thinks they're driving, but they're definitely, they're probably not in the passenger seat. They're in the back seat. And I I don't think we should be too defeatist or cynical about this either, because there is still a ton of opportunity out there. I think that- you know, with these tools becoming democratized, the ability to leverage these things yourself, there's a whole cohort of guests who are also fed up with the OTA experience too. We've seen the supply growth uh, dilute quality. We've seen frustration with fees. We've seen frustration with customer service. All of those things are enormous leverage points for the individual manager. Those are places where you can be extraordinarily successful if you can communicate your message and make sure guests know that you have quality inventory, that it's going to be a great experience, that you're transparent with your pricing. There's no surprises. 
and and fight back for that market share. How long we can so say that, Braden? Though we keep saying ahead. it, we keep beating our chest, saying this again and again. Like, when will that point be taken seriously? Right. Well, I'm curious because I think there's a more of a practical path that we need to build for some people because I hear what you guys are saying. I get it. And having the years in the industry and coming from that marketing background, it definitely sinks in very quickly. But I, I do think there's a little bit of a practical path because to the point of uh, the people who are relying on OTAs, if they do want to get off, they need to know what that path is. So let's maybe with the last 10 minutes or so, try to build that a little bit. And, and to Conrad, to your point, I think that the people who are saying uh, Airbnb bust. I think those are the people who are forcing themselves to drop their fees because they're not getting the bookings. I think that's all they're that's all they're doing. Now the other ones, 2019ers who got in and maybe own properties. To Scott's point, I think they're scrambling to try to figure out how do you actually become a vacation rental management company. What tech stack do I need? Who's the PMS? What do I do for marketing? I think they're scrambling to try to support the hundreds of properties that they their fund literally bought that their interest rates have gone up, that the bookings are down, the OTAs aren't working. I think there's a big scramble for a good portion of this. But if I go back to your example, Evan, and go back to Shopify and Amazon, how does this, just to make it as simple as possible for everyone that's listened, what's the correlation to the vacation rental space with Shopify and Amazon? Clearly, we all, when we think about our audience, professional managers have websites, that type of thing. But what do we need to do as managers to effectively execute? And from my perspective, adaptive is part of that. So feel free to add adaptive to that recipe because sure. we're using that. But what are all the steps that we need to take? Transparent pricing, trust, all those pieces. Is this like literally just build out a really strong direct booking website and then just continue your marketing and the marketing channels and hope that Google sends them your way? Or what are the steps we need to take? Yeah, that's I think that's an incredible usage of our next 10 minutes. And uh, Conrad, you are the king of driving customers to people's websites. Of your clients, how many revenue managers do you work with in addition to their marketing team? Or is it pretty much the marketing teams you're working with? Yeah, so we we did a Paul and I did a whole podcast episode on this a little while ago. I'll see if I can dig it out and put it in the show notes. It was one of our first ones that we did together. And basically, I think the title of it was like, if if marketing or if rate changes uh, were tree in the forest and they fell, would marketing make a noise? Meaning, is there any sort of communication between these two people? And the answer is, in my experience, it's very rare. Like sometimes we hear about it, but generally, I find the people that manage rates are only thinking about okay, I have this property, then I have a bunch of comps. Where do I sit? Okay, we're low. Let me go lower. Like we're high. Okay, let's see if we can get more bookings. And the marketing people are people like my kind of end of it is all about traffic and building brand and awareness. And how do we get more people to actually book? And it seems like these things don't ever line themselves up together in my experience. Like no it's one thinks crazy. about the fact that like our traffic is very high right now. People are booking at a high rate. Maybe we need to bring up the rates actually. Maybe it's too low. And then of course, vice versa. Maybe there is a time when it's like traffic's down, conversions are down. How do we judge that? And I think it's because the revenue manager, well, the person that's typically doing that work is mostly like their only, again, their only lever to pull is rates. So like, how do they figure it out? And then where's their... I don't want to say it this way. It's, I feel like there's not a lot of creativity in that. There's a lot of analytical thinking work. There's a lot of practical like knowledge of the market and knowledge of the property and what's going on. And I'm not saying that's not an intellectual task. I think it's a very intellectual task, but it's not a creative thing. Whereas I think marketing, yeah. at least digital marketing today is actually a blend. You have to be creative and come up with new ideas and ways to get attention, but you also have to be analytical and be like, all right, we put this idea out there. What were the numbers? How many people clicked on the ad? How many of them actually converted, et cetera. So I think you kind of have to be not that it's actually true, but like a left brain, right brain, 50-50 type person to really do well. Whereas the revenue manager is much more analytical and just thinking about the rates of things. So that's, I guess, the problem that I see. And it's not, I don't think there's wow. an easy solution to my knowledge. So that's how I'd answer your question, Adam. Um, yeah. For example, one person I really like as a bounce board is Sarah Franzen. She is so interested in what marketing teams are doing 
because she realized that she can keep pulling the same levers again and again, but she needs new levers. And the other levers, the other outlets for revenue management are through the marketing, through the digital platform, through the digital experience, the e-commerce experience. So I think the closer, I think the best place for us to start is how do we stop siloing both of those marketing and revenue management departments and pigeonholing revenue management into just numbers because there are other outlets for controlling demand and adapting to it. So I think that's probably the best step is how do we not necessarily combine those departments, but create a channel that's just free-flowing conversation between the revenue managers in our industry, the marketers in our industry to team up and see how do we tackle this together. And and maybe revenue management specifically is like on the cusp of a bit of a revolution in terms of how they approach things, especially as you get more into like non-traditional and vacation rental inventory. It's such a, you know, right now, if a big player in a market adjusts prices, you just see that waterfall through everyone else's. Most of the inputs to revenue managers these days are competitor crawled competitor information. You know, what, what are the occupancy rates in my market? What are my competitors doing with price? And let's kind of play follow the leader there. There are some exceptions, but what we're seeing with both our pricing customers, as well as some of those with more sophisticated revenue managers, is you are starting to blend in, you know, machine learning, analyzed analyzations of traffic patterns. Are we seeing spikes in traffic to specific properties for specific dates and actually using your own first party data to inform pricing and getting ahead of, of the market? Because people are in that research phase before they book. And so if you can anticipate that wave of demand before the the Vacasa or the V-trips in your market sets the the market rate, you can be out ahead of that and gathering market share in the meantime. Right. You just mentioned pricing. You guys do pricing as well? In some very limited cases. Yes. So we we have some some customers that we have a beta product with where we're using first party data to deliver pricing recommendations to them. So it's very much kind of a, a bespoke custom thing right now, but very promising, effective, fantastic reviews from the customers who are using it. So if I feed what you said back to me, see if I understand this correctly for the path for people forward. One, double down on marketing, do marketing really well. And that is across all of it. Strong website, strong channels, be on social, be on video, make sure that your brand is out there. Make sure your brand is trustworthy. Make sure that the people who come to your brand are going to come back to your brand and drive those direct bookings. At the same time, start to get marketing and revenue management talking together so that we can make revenue and marketing decisions on the fly as things change. And then to the final point, which to me, I don't have an answer for, but you guys might have a better feel for what's coming. But the democratization that you guys are talking about is super interesting. Obviously, adaptive is one of those. And you guys now stretching into pricing could mean that revenue management and AI pricing analysis comes into play, which you're starting to marry all these worlds together. But are there more tools coming that we should know about? What further democratization are we, should we expect? I think, you know, ad buys certainly suited to be handled by machine learning and those costs. I mean, it's going to get more competitive. So I don't know if the actual ad costs are going down, but the technology costs should come down. You'll you'll spend your money more wisely. Yeah, exactly. You hopefully get more ROI out of it, uh, more return out of it. You know, I think right now in the short term, it really is we're, we're seeing this continued push towards personalization and individual experiences. That's that's going to continue to be the case. It's a customer expectation in every sector. So you can't run from that. And I think the other place we're seeing a lot of growth are in these customer data platforms. I think that those tools stand to benefit quite a bit because folks are largely waking up to the value of the data in their existing CRMs and in their existing databases. And so tools that can extract value out of that, I think are are pretty promising here in the short term. 
if I can add the what I would what I envision as the next phase is how do we leverage all of this digital data that we're ingesting, all these demand signals and intent that we're learning and leverage it for in-person experiences or what in the e-commerce world they call omni-channel. So that way, if we understand what customers are looking for, what their preferences are and their purchasing power are, and we know how they like to travel on vacation, then you can do in-person upsells. We can do recommendations on certain experiences. And that's where the digital starts to blend with the physical world. And then you just expand your revenue capabilities exponentially. So that I hope is the next phase, but we're so far beyond that. And Adam, if you marry all three of those components that you have together, you effectively become your own OTA. Yeah. So that's the dream. Right. Add some loyalty to that, some experiences to that. And you've now developed your own OTA within your loyalty program and your customer base. That makes sense. I know we've only got three minutes left. Could you guys maybe just give a quick elevator pitch of Adaptive for anyone who might not know what it is? And if you've lasted this long and don't know Adaptive, I'm impressed. But throw out a quick elevator pitch so no, people know what you did. Yeah, I'll do it simply. And I'm sure Braden's going to have a bunch of technicalities he's going to want to throw in. But long story short is we turn your website and marketing into its own OTA. So the idea is right now that every customer that lands on your website, they're seeing the same thing. But why should a wealthy family of seven from Beverly Hills see the same thing as an elderly couple that's looking for something modest? The idea is that if you spoon feed customers the properties they want, the photos they want, the details they want, then you reduce the friction, you increase the enthusiasm, which in turn gets them to spend more and convert at a higher velocity. So we're talking about sending people to your website you can't really help with that's Conrad's job. But once they're at your website, the idea is how do you spoon feed them? Give them that red carpet concierge experience. That way they convert faster and spend more money. And you have marketing to keep them loyal with not just noise, but personalized content tailored to them. Any no, technicalities, no, Braden? Drop. Yeah, nothing at all. Mic drop on that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you must so, be practicing, Evan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So Evan, to that point, People who, who are using Adaptive, and I know you guys are relatively new and spreading very quickly, in essence, their marketing is on them. But once they get to the website, you guys are giving them the same 24-7 machine learning tools that all the OTAs are learning yep. or using, and your guys are democratizing it for all of our smaller players to leverage. Exactly. Yep. We're, we're, we're fed up with those 0.3% conversion rates. You guys spend a lot of money to attract guests. Let's not let them slip through your fingers. So using AI, we personalize the experience. We grow conversion rates and we grow revenue. I love it. I can't yeah. wait for you guys to get rolling with us in September. Yeah, we're awesome. excited. Yeah, well, thanks, Evan and Braden. We are out of time today. I'm sure we can keep going as we always can with, uh, with these guys, but we appreciate them coming back for part two. We'll link a part one and then a link, obviously, to Adaptive in the show notes so people can check that out. And again, if you made it this far and you've listened, you obviously might've got some value out of this. So we also appreciate reviews. That helps us a lot. Don't have to write anything fancy, no AI description, just hit five stars, leave us a review. We super appreciate that. But thanks thanks again to Evan and Braden for showing up and recording here with us today. Scott, Adam, and myself, will catch you next week on a fresh episode. Thanks so much.